Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. In this episode, I interview Karen DeShane, a class of 97 graduate from the United States Military Academy at West Point. You'll get to hear all about her journey from the suburbs of Detroit to being a competitive skydiver at the academy to eventually ending up as a thriving lawyer and mom of two in Southern California. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. Uh, Can you tell everyone where you're from and what school you went to and when you graduated? Yeah, sure. Um, I grew up in in the outskirts of Detroit, sort of the suburbs um, that are out in the western part of Detroit, near where the Detroit airport is. And I went to the United States Military Academy at West Point and graduated in 1997. Before we start, can you give everyone maybe like one or two lines about who you are and what you do now? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a mother of two amazing teenagers and I practice corporate law for a large international law firm where I have been practicing um, since graduating law school in 2007. The, The firm is Cooley and I am a partner at the at the law firm in our San Diego office. Nice. And how long have you been there? Uh, this is going on 13 years. So I left the army in 2004 and went straight to law school. And then straight out of law school, I went to the firm that I'm at now. And I actually don't ever see myself practicing anywhere else. I, I feel very lucky that I landed where I did at a great firm with a great practice that that um, brings me a lot of satisfaction and happiness. Let's go back to the beginning when you were deciding where you wanted to go to college. So you said you grew up in Detroit, the suburbs of Detroit. Yes. Um, So what made you choose a service academy? And specifically, what made you choose West Point? You know, I don't, I don't know that I have the best reason for having gone to West Point, but I grew up in what I would consider lower middle class. Um, my mother was a stay-at-home mom for until I until I was in high school, and my dad was a public school teacher. And by the way, a Vietnam veteran, he he was drafted into the army um, as a young man when he was in college. Um, he served just two years in Vietnam and then came home and used his GI Bill to get his teaching degree. And as a public school teacher in the 70s and 80s, um, when I was growing up, he was laid off kind of off and on my whole life. And so that's why I would say I had a lower middle class experience. He was there, there were years where it was really hard and there were years where he was teaching and it was better. Um, both of my parents are sort of self-made. They put themselves through college and they really felt like maybe a lot of Midwestern, um, parents felt in the, in the eighties and early nineties that it was sort of on us kids to find our own way in life. And, um, so I think it was part philosophical and part just the practicalities of not having money. They said to each of us, I have an older brother and a younger sister. And they said to each of us like, Hey, you, you have to go to college, but you have to figure out how to do it on your own. We can't afford it or we won't help. And I actually started working at the age of 12 with a paper route. And I was always my whole life saving money for college. But when I got to high school, I thought, I thought that I, well, I endeavored to find a way to pay for it. Um, and 
my parents really encouraged me to stay home and go to community college and then work and put myself through college sort of the hard way. Um, but I felt, you know, right or wrong, I felt like I was kind of too good for that. And I was a valedictorian of my high school, a three-sport athlete, um, a leader among my peers, and I felt like I needed to do something bigger. And so I started looking towards um, Army ROTC and Academy scholarships. Um, more than anything, because that would be a way for me to pay for school. Um, my parents had some friends um, through the church that we went to, and the the um, the husband of those friends, the the male of the family, was an 81 grad at West Point, and I babysat their children. And when his 10-year reunion was coming up in 1991, he asked me, he and his wife asked me to go out to West Point with them to watch their children while they did reunion activities. And so I went with them and I fell in love with the place. Um, I felt like it was everything that I needed. First off, it was going to be free, but second off, it was going to be hard um, and challenging and sort of something bigger than myself. And it was really far away from home. And I was also the sort of teenager that felt like um, I needed to do my own thing. And I needed to be financially independent of my parents sort of because they were telling me that I had to, but I also really had that own need in myself to be financially independent. And so it seemed like both a way to go to a really good school, um, have it paid for and get out of my parents' house. And so, you know, for right or for wrong, those are the reasons why I landed at the academy. That's interesting. So you said your, your father served in Vietnam. Did he, how did he feel about your decision to apply to West Point? You know, never spoke about Vietnam. Um, and he never at all even suggested that any of us go in the military. But um, I, I don't think that there was anything that he was ever prouder of in me than the fact that I did. It actually ended up being a really big bonding um, opportunity for the two of us. Um, having me go in the military and like I said, he was so incredibly proud that I went to West Point. But then even after, while I was there and after I graduated, it ended up being a really awesome source of connection for he and I. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. So, so when you when you saw West Point and you fell in love with it, what what other things about it did you had you ever been to New York before? Had you because West Point's in the Hudson Valley of New right. York, so had you ever been there before that? I had never been to New York. I really had um, not been a lot of places. So I, 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 having teacher having a teacher as a parent. Um, we were always sort of road tripping growing up and we did a lot of camping, um, but hadn't gone so far as New York. So it was my first time going to New York, but even on that trip, when I went with my parents' friends, um, we didn't, we didn't even go to the city or anything. We just went to West Point and came home. Mm. West Point is beautiful. I often tell, when I, when I say that to people, I often have to caveat it and say, hey, from the outside looking in, it's beautiful. Um, and I just, it was, it was sort of everything that I, everything that I could have imagined for myself in college. It was, you know, big stately buildings and, um, parade fields and it's on the Hudson river and the, the reunions are in the fall. So I was there in the fall when the leaves were changing and everything about it was almost utopic seeming. Mm. 
So when you fell in love with the Academy, uh, with West Point specifically, was, was that really it for you as far as um, where you wanted to apply for college? Or did you look at other academies or other colleges? Yeah, it, I didn't even consider the other academies. Um, I did apply for an Army ROTC scholarship at the University of Michigan. Um, and, but those are the only two schools that I applied to and got, in, and got into. Where I grew up, um, outside Detroit, sort of everybody that could get into the University of Michigan went there. It was, it was obviously, it's a prestigious school, you know, and among Michiganders, it's sort of the end-all be-all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the only two schools that I applied to, but it, you know, times have changed. I mean, that's a very like early 90s mindset. Um, but yeah, I didn't even think of the other academies, honestly. I just didn't have any exposure to in, to the other academies. And I think um, because the college entrance process was much different back then, I think I I also didn't have much exposure to anything sort of outside of my circle of influence. Um, So University of Michigan was on the radar because it was on everybody's radar where I grew up. And then West Point was on the radar because of my parents' friends. And that was kind of it. That's kind of all I knew. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the general response from people around you, both at school and in your life and your family, um, when you said you were applying and then when you got in, you know, that whole process, what did, how did people receive that? Yeah, I, I, um, it was sort of mixed. Um, interestingly, three people in my high school graduating class, um, got accepted and went to West Point. Um, and I don't think there had been anybody in, in, um, recent history that anybody could remember that had gone there. Um, but a, a really good girlfriend of mine who was a girlfriend of mine in high school, a girlfriend of mine at West Point, and she's still my friend, um, went. And then there was a male classmate of ours from our high school graduating class who also went, although he did not stay at the academy. He left in the first year. Mm. Um, and one of my um, actually very closest childhood friends and is still a friend went to the Coast Guard Academy out of our class. So it was sort of a big academy year, randomly. Um, but it was, so it was, it was kind of a really big deal. And in fact, when I went back for my 20 year high school class reunion in, in, um, in what would that be, 2013, um, you know, they did like a big write up about us in the newspaper and stuff. Like it's still kind of a big deal in my hometown. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my, my Coast Guard Academy um, friend from high school, she's actually still in the Coast Guard. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Crazy, huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, so let's dive a little bit into your time at the Academy itself. So first of all, was it, was it a struggle for you to get in? Did you, um, I mean, I know it's always, it's a hard process for anyone, but um, did you get in right away or were there any hiccups with the application process for you personally? Yeah, no, I did get in right away. In fact, I, I I found out that I was accepted in November of my senior year, and I don't know if that was early for 1992 or if that was the regular timing, but I knew before Christmas um, for sure that I had gotten in. Wow. Um, and, you know, it was a lot. It, Michigan is um, also one of the, when I was there, it was one of the bigger feeder states to West Point, I think. I think Michigan, Texas, California, New York were were the were had the highest numbers of cadets, and so it was competitive in the sense that 
you know, I had to go to multiple interviews with my congressmen and Senate committees. And um, I remember that being a really extensive process. I remember interviewing in front of panels of people sort of on the regular. Um, and I don't know if it's like that anymore, but that that was the most stressful part of the application in my, to my memory. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you had to sum up your time at the Academy in one word, what would it be? Hard. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just hard across the board, physically, mentally, emotionally. It was so excessively competitive. Um, and, I, and I try to explain this to people all the time. And, and in particular, I remember when I was in law school and a lot, of, a lot of kids in law school feel like law school is like this pressure cooker of competitiveness because there is a force curve. And um, a lot, for a lot of people, that's the first time they've dealt with that. But like everything at West Point was graded. I mean, we were getting graded at our day-to-day -day life and how good of cadets we were. And that went into our class rank. I mean, there was a military grade, which was 10% of our class rank, which basically was a grade that you're, you know, seen more senior cadets gave you about how good of a cadet you were. And, and class rank was everything. And so that, it was just this constant pressure. And then obviously the classes were very difficult and competitive because we, I had, we had forced grading in our undergraduate classes, which is, I don't think, very common in undergraduate experience. And then the physical aspect of it as well. Um, and so it was, it just felt very constantly competitive mm. which is but, hard yeah 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 it's like you're it's like the whole time you're at an academy feels like a an uphill marathon right yeah yeah, yeah you're getting graded on everything and there's all there's a definitely a culture of competitiveness where there's a constant talk about your class rank and there's you know you wear on the very face of your uniform you wear whether or not you're whether or not you're on the dean's list for grades and then we had a different insignia we could wear on our uniform that said you know whether we were in the top percentage across the board military physical and academics and we wore those things on our uniform so it was it was really like everybody was judging each other all the time and competing with each other in all aspects of life and then i think as a woman it, it was even probably more competitive because i think there's the additional competitiveness about being in the minority um and i and i presume racial minorities felt this even more than i did but you know you're in i was it was about 10 percent women and so then you also feel like among those 10 percent you're competing and mm. you're competing you know you're competing to some extent to prove that you just need to be there as a woman but then you're also competing with the other women to outdo them and you're competing for attention from the boys and you're competing for you know some limited number of leadership roles that are available to women um i i feel like it was yeah. harder and more competitive and a little bit more like distancing for the women than it was even for the men but i of course i don't know for sure that's my impression yeah yeah did you find it hard to build real bonds with people due to all that competitiveness in every aspect of life at the academy I feel like 
I didn't form really great bonds with people and I don't know why except to blame it on that I suppose um and when I I I definitely kind of just felt like I was looking out for myself all the time and I didn't really let people in very often um and I and I have to presume that it's because I at least in my head I was competing in, in all aspects of life. Um, and I feel like that is a difficult, particularly over a prolonged period of time of four years, that's a difficult place to be and to also try and like build real relationships, whether they be friendships or romantic relationships or whatever. It was, it was lonely in a sense that way. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. I I know uh, when I was applying to an academy, I uh, I had these images in my head of like being, you know, all like, you know, you see all those commercials of <laughs> all the people and the camaraderie and, you know, they're high-fiving and all the teamwork. And I know that stuff happens, but to your point, uh, I never felt that as well. So I get it, you know, and, and I hear yeah. that. I hear that from a lot of uh, women. I so. feel like there are, I feel like there were, you know, discrete instances of that. Like I, I can think back and like the army, the army Navy game obviously is a really big deal and it's a really big build up, and it's sort of the focus of campus for like four months. And, and the army Navy game experience is sort of bonding in a way. And then just being a plebe and going through all the challenges of that. Like I can definitely look back and see like, there were really some moments where at least for an instance, you bonded with people. And I, and I would say that, like, when I look back, a, a big part of what drew me there and then what I did love was this feeling of teamwork. Um, but teamwork is different than, like, deep relationships. I mean, I, I definitely felt part of a team a lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of, and I think, I think like, mutual suffering <laughs> forms yeah. some sort of bond, right? Like, there's some, like just commiserating with each other. And I, and I, and I do think there were instances, I just think overall the experience was lonely. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Mm. Um, so, well, what were some of the highlights for you while you were at, uh, at school? I think a highlight for me was being on the skydiving team, mm -hmm. um, both making it which is just another indication of how competitive things were it was very competitive to make the team and i felt very good about myself when i made the team but then it was also a really great um just like extracurricular activity sort of outlet there was that there probably would have there probably is no greater stress reliever than to jump out of an airplane at least for me because jumping out of airplanes wasn't stressful <laughs> i think for some people it would be but like that it was it was really like they really for me that was the coolest thing I got to do I got to leave class every day and drive out to the drop zone and then jump and free fall and skydive with my buddies um and that was a really cool way to spend a significant amount of time um I got to jump the army ball into football games at Mikey Stadium which was really cool um huh. but definitely the skydiving team was an outlet, if nothing else, but definitely like a really neat part of what I did there. Yeah, that sounds incredible. We, uh, at the Merchant Marine Academy, which is where I went, we, uh, we definitely did not have a skydiving team. And that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Air Force 
had one too. Navy did not either when I was there, but Air Force had a team. Yeah. And it was fun. I, I gave up every Christmas vacation in order to do that. Um, but it was, it was a ton of fun. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds amazing. So, okay. So while you were at the Academy, what, what were your goals? Did you have like a career path already planned out for yourself? Did you know what you wanted to do? Uh, Um, that's interesting. I, um, I'm not one of, I'm not one of the kids that went to West Point, not sort of naive about serving in the military. And so when I decided to go there, I definitely decided to own that piece of it. And I was looking forward to serving in the army. Um, I thought that I would go to West Point, be in the army for a little while, do something else, and then run for political office. That's kind of what I envisioned for myself. Um, and that's actually, honestly, that's actually the reason why law school was always on my radar also, because I, I just thought to myself that most politicians are lawyers, and so I should do that at some point. And then um, now that's not on my career path at all. But so I went to West Point knowing that I would serve, and I really figured that I would serve until it wasn't fun anymore, and then I would figure out something else to do. Um, because my West Point time was not what I would call fun, Pretty soon off at West Point, I, I realized that maybe the Army also wasn't going to be fun, and so I should try to do some set myself up for another career, and, and I decided to be an economics major. And then right after I commissioned and went on active duty, I almost immediately started working on my MBA. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but turns out, actually, the Army was way funner than West Point was, and I really enjoyed the Army. And so I stayed in the Army not until I stopped having fun, but until it kind of didn't make sense for my family anymore and then went to law school. So I I don't know that I, I don't know that I had like a really good plan for myself career wise. Um, I just knew it was going to involve being on active duty and I was not at all reluctant about that whatsoever. I was looking forward to that when I was a cadet. Did you have any reservations about um, being stationed all over the place or moving around, or was that something you were looking forward to? I did not think about it a lot as a cadet. Um, I was hoping to, to be able to see the world a little bit, but I didn't, I didn't have a good sense about what active duty life was really like and like what it meant to sort of move around all the time and drag your family with you. I just didn't think about that when I was a cadet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got a lot of other things on your mind for sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, before we dive further into your career, I, I definitely want to hear a little bit more about your time at the Academy and maybe some of the, some of the lowlights, some of the struggles that you had while you were there, things that stand out for you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess we've hinted around it a little bit. Like I, I do think it was, I do think it was unnecessarily lonely. Um, and and it probably like there's nobody to fault except for myself. But like, for example, my my beast barracks. So at West Point, we call cadet basic training beast barracks, which is the first six and a half weeks the summer before your plebe year starts. And so beast, my beast barracks roommate and I, and like I thought we were cool. I thought we were close and we went through beast barracks together, which was really hard. We were both from Michigan, actually. We got put into different academic year companies and then like she just left and never said goodbye. And and I 
and I don't know that it bothered me that much back then, but I think it's a, I think it's a, a symptom of a bigger problem um, that I would consider, uh, you know, what, what, what made the Academy not that great was just this disconnectedness or this sort of, like I said before, like this, like loneliness. Um, yeah. Like the false camaraderie. It's, it's like, yeah. 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 No depth My, to it. Right. Um, and if I, you know, if, if I were to do it now when I'm older and wiser, I would definitely do that differently. I would like pay more attention to relationships and getting to know people and like figuring out like when people are hurting or when people are struggling. My plebeer roommate also left, but she left um, for academic reasons. And we talked about it a lot. Um, I, um, I also, so before I was on the skydiving team, um, I had walked on to the track team. I was a high jumper in high school and I, I was other things as well, but, um, but I was able to walk onto the army track team to do high jump. But during Beast Barracks, um, I had gotten a stress fracture in my right foot marching and it ended up turning into a, a legit fracture and it ended up ultimately being a non-union where like the bones are never going to heal. And the reason for that is because I felt this enormous amount of pressure to work out with the track team and I just didn't let myself heal. And eventually about in March, so um, when I was at West Point, the plebes were what, what we call unrecognized um, all the way up until spring break. And at spring break, back then the upperclassmen left campus on spring break and the plebes had to stay um, on campus, but you got quote unquote recognized right before spring break, which meant you were no longer um, required to like do table duties in the mess hall. You weren't required to walk fast and look straight all the time. You weren't required to to um, greet all the upperclassmen. You became like basically finally like a real part of the core, like you were sort of recognized as a cadet. So all the way up until then, between the end of these barracks and spring break, you were like in punishment mode for whatever reason, hazing mode. And then when spring break happened, all of a sudden you were welcomed into the, to the core. In the last couple of months of freshman year, you were like, just like anybody else. You were allowed to call upperclassmen by their first name, that sort of thing. And because I had broken my foot and because I was hurt all of spring break, all, I'm sorry, all of freshman year, right before spring break, I went into surgery. I had my foot reconstructed and, um, spent a few nights in the hospital. And then I spent the rest of, of plebe year, freshman year on crutches, uh, unable to walk because it was, it was a pretty major surgery that I had to have done. Um, and so that was a bummer. Like it was like, you look forward all year to being able just to like stroll around campus and like hang out with your friends who maybe be upperclassmen through the skydiving team or the track team or whatever. And then, and then next thing you know, you can't walk, you're on crutches. Um, that was kind of a bummer. And then I later found out that my mother was so worried about me and my broken foot and surgery and all this pressure that I was under. Like I learned that my mother had to go on like antidepressants that year because she was so worried about me. Wow. Um, 
and just couldn't deal with the fact that like her daughter was so far away and she up and joined the army of all things and now she's hurt and and this again like this is in the mid 90s and so we didn't have telephones or, or we didn't have internet even so like i couldn't call her all the time she couldn't call me and see if i was okay and it really bothered her wow it really really affected her mentally wow yeah i can't I, yeah i can't imagine but i i can also um empathize with the struggle that that must have been to just be on that campus in that environment with the competitiveness and, and you know the energy at a federal service academy is very go 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 like you're always doing something and to have something wrong with your foot and crutches and oh man i can't imagine yeah. the frustration <laughs> that, that must yeah, have been frustrating yeah. um that's for sure but I will say, like, I did not have anything like traumatic happen to me at the academy, and I, and unfortunately, a lot of our, our peers did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Um, but, but still, you know, I mean, it's a lonely. It sounds like you felt what a lot of the women that have graduated from the academies feel, which is that just that like kind of low grade loneliness that's there the whole time, like, and this competitiveness that's there the whole time and um, not really forming very strong connections and people you can rely on. And it's just interesting that you say that, you know, there's, there's like parts of the Academy that you don't even really remember. I find yeah. that, I find that so fascinating because like I, I'm the same way. And I, and I think a lot of women that graduate are, and it's, it's, you know, it's, a good study in psychology i guess like why yeah why that is you know i mean i think maybe i think maybe we go into some sort of survival mode right and sure and when you come out of it and i, I feel like i'm like a healthy distance from it it's still just not there like it's yeah. just like whatever it was i just i've left it there yeah well that's definitely been my experience talking to a lot of women is like you just put your head down and get it done you get through you know, yeah. and that's, that's what leads to a lot of like disconnection with your body and disconnection with, with everything. I mean, you're just, you're literally in go mode the entire time, kind of trying to get up this hill until you graduate, you know? Yeah. 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 So, um, well, on that note, uh, so, so tell me, so, so you make it through the Academy, you, you know, you had this issue with your foot leave year, but it sounds like the rest of your time, you know, you, you made it through pretty unscathed. Um, yeah. as far as like anything majorly traumatic, yeah. but, uh, so you get to graduation and what happened next? What, what, what was your first step post-graduation? I got married two weeks later, like a lot of people in my class, um, to a man who had graduated two years before me and was a army helicopter pilot. Um, so we went, we left graduation and went home to Michigan and got married. And then I had, um, I was lucky and I had all 60 days of graduation leave. So we went on our honeymoon. I went, um, I went back um, to the house that we owned in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where he was stationed and sort of took it easy until I went to the, what we called the officer basic course. And my officer basic course was at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. So only a few hours actually from where my husband was living at Fort Bragg. And I went through um, officer basic course, which is about, maybe four or five months. And then I also reported to Fort Bragg and took my first job on active duty. Wow. And what was that first job? 
so I was in the finance corps. My first job was a disbursement officer, which doesn't exist anymore, I'm pretty sure. And I kind of, I had, I had it was sort of like a platoon of soldiers. I had probably 15 soldiers that reported to me and we ran like a little bank. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. For who? Yeah, we had a, we had like a vault with money and we had checks. So we would write checks for like, different things that the army was spending money on and then soldiers could um soldiers could come and cash checks with us and we would give them cash and it's so strange now to think back that we even did that um and they and they could get advances like if a soldier had found themselves on tough times between paychecks there was a way to get i think what was called a comfort payment or something where you could get like an advance on your paycheck and if you did that it would come through my little bank and we would pay you cash um yeah so it definitely doesn't exist anymore it's so strange that that was my first job but that was like the that was like the classic finance core lieutenant first job was to be a disbursement officer and then Ah. I went from that job and I became a company executive officer for Mm -hmm. a finance company at Fort Bragg and I I served my first two years at Fort Bragg and then my husband um, got orders to go to Korea to um, a flight job in Korea and so I called my branch manager at the Army's human resources, like every branch in the Army has a re- human resource manager that manages the officers. And so I called them and I said, hey, is there any chance I can go to Korea? And I said, Korea, are you kidding me? Nobody wants to go to Korea. When do you want to go? And so I got myself orders to go to Korea and my husband and I flew over on the same day. We were both just on a one-year tour. We flew over on the same day and a year later we flew, flew home together. Wow. Yeah. When I was in Korea, my job was to be the chief military pay officer for the peninsula and had about 30 soldiers that worked for me. And we sort of processed everybody's travel and pay things. It was like a, like an HR job. Hmm. So, so just back up for one second, if you don't mind. So you, you were on this finance trajectory because you're major was economics is this something you chose like how how did this work oh yeah so so when you're when you're going into your senior year at west point you get to rank your branches of the army that you want to serve in and what branch you get assigned to is based on first how many quote-unquote slots west point has for that branch and then that you get assigned into them based on your class rank so Again, like at this point in my life, I was thinking that maybe I wasn't going to like the army and I should try to do something that would translate into a civilian career. Mm. And finance seemed like, uh, at, at least at least the nomenclature seemed like that was going to be a good transition into some sort of business career. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's nothing like that. It's not finance in the civilian sense whatsoever. But in any case, I felt like maybe that would be a a way where I could have something on my resume someday that would look businessy. And so I selected finance and I, I was pretty highly ranked in my class. Um, so I got it. No problem. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's very different than the merchant Marine Academy. It's interesting. Oh, Um, really? Yeah. The merchant Marine Academy just has two tracks like Decker engine. Um, so it's just a very different process of like, picking your career path. You can choose any service that you want to go into and it's, there's no like collective ranking 
for billets and things like that. It's very oh. different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so then when it comes time to find your to pick your first duty station, it's the same thing. So then I think there were I think there were 10 finance officers coming out of my West Point class. And so the 10 of us go to branch night, we go into a classroom and they tell us what for what um what posts are available for finance for West Pointers and there's 10 and there happen to be 10 of us and there's 10 and they literally write the 10 on the board and then your rank among the finance officers, you go up to the board and you scratch off the one that you want. So the first, the highest ranked person in the class that's going finance gets to go first, you go up to the chalkboard and you say, I'm going to go to Fort Bragg. You cross it off a list. And then the number two person goes up and picks their place. Wow. That is just, that's incredible. Yeah. No, definitely very different than the Merchant Point Academy. <laughs> yes. But again, like class rank means so much. Wow. Yeah. I, wow. That's incredible. Huh? Um, so, so what happened after that? So you went to Korea and came back. Yep. And I came back. I actually came back pregnant with my first child, but I went straight from Korea to the captain's career course back at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And I was a captain by then and which is an old three in the army. And, um, that course is about six months where you basically learn how to be a company commander. So I spent six months in that course and then they send you to something called, um, uh, combined arms service staff school, Cascued, which is in Fort Leonard, Fort Leavenworth, Missouri, Kansas, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. So I went there for a six week course and then I was supposed to go from Cascued at Fort Leavenworth, and back to Fort Bragg to command a company. I actually gave birth to my son at Cass Cubed because he came early. Mm -hmm. um, and so then I went on about eight weeks of maternity leave and then showed up at Fort Bragg and took command of my, my first company. And how, how did you feel about doing that now having a baby? You know, so, well, so super interestingly, also during that time 9-11 happened so i was in i had my son on in july 2001 and um i was still on maternity leave when 9-11 happened and i actually took command of my company the next week so it's all sort of a blur but uh it was scary it was just like everything had changed in the whole world um you know i had basically been up until that point in a peacetime army uh, well, Bosnia and Herzegovina was going on, so I had a number of classmates that, that sort of fought in the Balkans. But um, for me, it had been pretty much peacetime army, and then all of a sudden, 9-11 um, happened, and I was taking command of an airborne company at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, with, a, at that time, I guess, a 10-week-old son. Um, so it was much different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. 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 And, and how, so how did that all play out? So here you are with a, with a, a baby and, you know, the, the world is going to war, you know? Yeah. yeah. So what happened? Yeah. So I took, uh, so I, had a, I had a live-in nanny who moved to Fort Bragg um, and started working for us at the same time that I moved to Fort Bragg. So I had my first live-in nanny. My husband was on active duty also. Um, he was in a staff job. I took command of my company. And almost immediately, like within a couple of weeks, I sent teams of soldiers to Uzbekistan and Afghanistan. But I, I did not go. So in the army, 
after you have a baby, you're not deployable for six months, at least back then, I don't know what it is now, but back in 2001, you're not deployable for six months. And so I wasn't deployable, but I sent my soldiers. Um, and then in December of 2001, my husband got deployed. So now I am basically a single mother in command of a company um, of airborne soldiers at Fort Bragg. It was, it was an adventure. I loved it though. I loved the army. Yeah. I loved, I loved everything about the army. I love soldiers. I love leading people. I loved jumping out of airplanes. I loved the pace of the army. I loved the people that I worked for and that worked for me. I loved everything about it. So you're doing your thing with this little baby and you're, you have your soldiers overseas. And so what, it sounds like you really enjoyed this time in the army that you, you know, so what made you decide to get out? Yeah. It, um, so I had my second kid and my daughter was born in 2003, actually right after the Iraq war kicked off. My daughter was born in May, 2003. And at the time my mother-in-law was very sick in, in Southern California. And so my husband was going to get out of the army and I asked the army to send me as close as they could to San Diego. And so they sent me to recruiting command in Los Angeles County and I commanded a recruiting company. Um, and I had two little kids. So the kids were zero and two then. Um, and that was the hardest job that I have ever had. And I will ever have recruiting command, especially in 2003 was an impossible job with an impossible mission. And um, my husband actually ended up staying in, and he also worked in recruiting command. And I, um, what is recruiting? What what exactly is that recruiting command? So I had um, I had nine recruiting stations that worked for me, oh. and about fifty six recruiters wow. in the wow. east part of LA County. Um, my husband was on staff at the time at the recruiting battalion, which was in Los Angeles. And I had tiny little kids. I still had a live-in nanny. I was working 100 hours a week. By that time, we had moved seven times in seven years. And it just was the right time for me to stop. It was, um, I was leading soldiers. I mean, I had recruiters that worked for me, but commanding recruiters is very different than commanding soldiers that are like, going to go to war. Recruiters are, for the most part, career recruiters. And so it's, there's no sense. I, I lost the, I lost the sense that what we were doing was all that important. Um, it was more like an office job and mm. it was not very rewarding because it was impossible to be good at it. And my kids were little and I, and I was able to get into UCLA, which is a really good law school. And so like, my husband and I kind of looked at each other and we said, you know, here we are, we're in Southern California. You got into a great law school. We're financially in a position where it makes sense to take some time. And the kids were little and I felt like they needed me. And so it was just kind of like the right time, right place. Mm. Um, so I left to go to law school, but I missed it. Yeah. I miss, I miss the army. Hmm. Well, when you decided to go to law school, at this point, were you still thinking political career or had that changed? Yeah, I still was sort of thinking about that. Although I definitely had figured out through business school and through just, you know, interactions with people that I, I would probably 
be really good in a business setting. And so I went to law school in, with, in the mind that I would go into corporate America initially, at least. Mm. Um, what was the appeal to, to corporate America? You know, I thought, I actually thought at the time that I would like try to be the general counsel of a company someday. I saw myself like part of a management team. Um, turns out I was completely wrong about that. I don't think I'd like that at all. But um, I just thought that, I thought everything I had learned in school and everything I had learned about leadership, like set me up to be in management. It, leadership and management actually are very different things, but that's why that those are the skills that I thought that I would bring to law. Like, like for example, I never, I never even imagined being a family law lawyer or a criminal lawyer or you know, a million other things you can do with a law degree. I always thought it would be something in business. Interesting. So, so when you got through law school and then you landed in this company that you're still at today, right? You got that, yeah. you're still at Cooley. Yeah. Um, how did, how did that evolve? Like, how did you find your place within that company, within that company and, um, and learn how to transition your skills in a way that yeah. makes sense? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, so I'm part of a pretty big organization. Like we have a thousand lawyers now when I joined, maybe we had, maybe we had 600 lawyers or 500 lawyers. And so it's a pretty big organization like that. It, there's a lot of like support organization behind the lawyers and that appealed to me. So I have a lot of support, right? So I was back in a position, for example, where I had a secretary again, like I did when I was a commander. And I had sort of this whole little army of people in the background supporting my practice. So in a law firm, I work for a law firm, and in a law firm, the lawyers generate the revenue. So the way my law firm makes money is the lawyers work and we bill our clients for the work and that's how the law firm makes money. And so the whole law firm structures is there to support the lawyers which is felt similar to me or it felt familiar to me because you know everything about the army is to support the soldiers and so there and there are a lot of support systems sort of in the background supporting the war fighters and it's obviously a very different thing practicing law is nothing like fighting the war but like it felt similar to me and and the the bureaucracy even though it's nowhere near the bureaucracy that a big army has there is still a decent amount of bureaucracy and structure there's even a little bit of hierarchy in the sense that you have associates and partners and and you have to like move up the ranks like it has a little bit of a military feel about it that i was actually really well positioned to navigate you know i for being somebody who was straight out of law school like this is not the best example, but like I, I had had a secretary before, like I know how to work with staff. I know how to like, I know how to answer hard questions. I know how to, I know how to run a meeting. I know how to handle myself professionally and all of those skills translated beautifully into law firm success. Mm -hmm. And I knew how to like have a goal and get promoted. Like I, I kind of knew sort of what those things were. And I had a huge advantage because most people who go to law school go to law school almost right out of college. And so you know, those years in the army actually, and, and the, the leadership I learned at West Point really served me really well. And my law firm thought it was the coolest thing ever that I was a West Point graduate and I had commanded companies in the army. Like they think it's like the best thing since sliced bread. They still do. Like they still think it's really awesome. And my clients think it's really cool. And 
so I, I kind of came in with a leg up from the beginning. <laughs> Interesting. It, would you say that your time at West Point, um, what other ways do you think it impacted your, your career trajectory with law? Did it? So I'm in the relationship business. So my, what I do and how I bring, how I, how I add value to my law firm is by building relationships and getting my clients to trust me and getting new clients to trust me. And that I learned all of that at West Point and in my early years in the army, like mm -hmm. talk about like, talk about the challenge of navigating relationships. I mean, again, we were talking about how, like how much of a pressure cooker West Point is, but like to be successful there, you have to be able to meet and, and manage people's expectations. And that's what, it, that's what practice of law is. It's like meeting and managing people's expectations. It's actually a lot of what motherhood is, to be honest, too. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, so, so looking back now, like how do you feel about your decision to attend West Point? Do you feel like it was the right decision for you? I get an enormous amount of credit for going there and the benefits to me are huge. I don't know that I would have gotten into law school where I did. I don't know that I would have gotten a job at my law firm. And I honestly, I don't know that I would be the person that I am. I'm very good at what I do. And I don't know that I would be this person had I not gone through it. And so it's hard to say, right? Like you're only with one life, yeah, yeah. you know, but I am very grateful that I did it. Um, if I were, if I were, so I have a 17 year old daughter who's going to be a senior in high school and she's applying to the academies and, um, and I am begging her not to go. Um, and it's because, and maybe, and maybe I'm kidding myself, but like when I, when I think about her and I think about maybe who I could have been, like she, she, and I'm sort of projecting now, sorry, but she's like, she's so much more interesting and ambitious and, and like multifaceted than I was. Look, when I was in high school, like the only thing I was passionate about was ambition. Like I wanted to be the best at everything. I wanted to win everything. And I, for most of my life, I've been pretty good at doing that. And like, I wanted to do the hardest thing. And the West Point to me was like this ultimate challenge that I needed to do um, because I didn't want to take the easy road and, and life is more than that. Like, and that's fine. And so that's what I needed. And I think I probably, if, if I go back in time, I probably would have did it again because that's who I was, but like life can be so much more beautiful than that. Like, like, I don't know, like humanities and art and like, mm. um, justice yeah. and like all these other things that like are also very important and even even to a certain extent faith and friendships and like all these things that can also bring your life like meaning I didn't see at all that I, and now I see right and and yeah. so I just I worry that she'll go there and like just success will become the only thing that matters and I, and I don't know if that's who I was before I went or if that's what turns me into, but that's definitely who I am. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely, um, in my experience, uh, both, you know, going to an academy, but also working with a lot of women and just actually just men and women um, that have gone to the academies. It's, there's definitely an avatar that's attracted to that kind of like, that yeah. kind of environment. And it tends to be, 
the type of person who like put your head down, get it done, hard work. Um, you know, and I, I do feel like there's a, a lot of women that go and, and myself included, you know, we have an uncanny ability of just like you do, you just put your head down and you kind of like detach a little bit from how you're physically feeling, how you're emotionally feeling. Like you just, you, you want to succeed, you want to, you know, achieve, yeah. you want to get through. Um, and then one day you wake up on the other side and, and you realize that there's for, to what end, like you're in this yeah. kind of grind <laughs> and, yeah. and you don't know where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's like exhausting to think about it. I don't know, right? Like, yeah. like, I think I also think that there were that those years. Like some, sometimes I think about it. I don't think about that often, actually. But sometimes I think about when people ask me, and I'm like, you know what? Like, those four years were stolen from me because I could have been like learning about who I was instead of just trying to prove who I was. Mm. That and that's unfortunate I think mm. um but at the same time look I'm very happy that I went there and and I'm very happy that I made my father proud and I'm very happy that people are impressed about it and it brings me success to this day but there's there's some there's a piece of me that wishes that I wouldn't have given up those those years that's interesting that you view it that way though because um I think you had to go through that to learn, to learn about who you are, you know, like that was yeah. part of it, you know? So we all have yeah, our, right. a different that's path. What, that's, I mean, that's the rub, right? Like I don't yeah. regret it. And I don't want to suggest that I regret it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't regret it. I guess so maybe I'm giving like a mixed message, but no, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think our listeners will understand too. Like, yeah. I get it. Like, you know, it's like, it's what you had to go to through. It's, it's was your journey. You know, that was yeah. part of your journey, but but you're, it sounds like you're looking at your daughter and you're acknowledging that maybe that's just not, it might not be right for her, you know, and it might not be right for yeah. other people too. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So what's next for you personally? Uh, um, I don't know. So I'm coming out of my second divorce. Um, I love what I do and where I do it and who I do it with and for. And so I think, I'm 45. I really think that I will do this for a maximum of 15 more years. And when I'm 60, I don't want to be doing this anymore. It's a very grueling career. I work a ridiculous amount of hours and I am in the client business. And so to a certain extent, my life is not my own, like, like I, it could be. And so I'd like to do this until I'm 60 and then step kind of step off the hamster wheel and, and travel and, still contribute in some way with my legal skills, but in, um, in a less demanding way. Um, it's so interesting that you just said it like that because it's, it's, a it's a very similar lesson to what you were saying. You learned at West Point, this like idea that you're kind of grinding through it, you know? Yeah. But I do, I do love it. And I get a lot of, I get a lot of happiness from being good at something like probably all of us do, right? Like and I that's think, it, right? Like that's yeah. the whole thing. There's like a light and a dark to every type yeah. of way of being. So it's exactly what you need to do. I guess it's just like, you know, finding that balance for you Yeah. in that lifestyle. Yeah. 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 Huh. So for 15 more years at the most. 15 more years at the most. Yeah. So when I'm 60, I don't want to be doing this. And um, yeah, my 
I'll be have an empty nest pretty soon. And so who knows? Um, New chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, just like live vicariously through my children and their college experiences. My oldest is already in college. So, uh, yeah. Well, it'll be exciting to see what your kids do next, then, right? Yeah. But, and yeah. what you do next. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, do you have any parting words uh, for all our Service Academy sisters? Anything else you want to say before we start to wrap up? No, I just, it was really nice talking to you. And it's, it's, um, uh, it's, sometimes it's good to step back and sort of reflect on like what made you who you are and the choices that you made and things like that. And so I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because it's like, uh, I, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I, I as well definitely felt like I didn't really form really deep, deep connections, especially with other women at the academy. Um, and I too have been surprised now later in life that it's kind of like one of my biggest regrets, but I'm finding that now even more so than that, like it's very um, therapeutic reconnecting with women that have been in, in these service yeah. academies. It really is. Um, finally, one last question. Um, what's one random fun fact that you want to share about yourself? Oh, um, we know you jump out of planes or that you, at least you did. Yeah. I reached through all the interesting points. I don't eat eggs. I haven't, I haven't eaten eggs since I was a teenager. They never pass my lips. They gross me out and it's just weird. Really? But, yeah. <laughs> interesting. That <laughs> and is so my poor children, my poor children don't eat eggs because I can't cook them either. Cooking them grosses me out. So we're like a whole family of non egg eaters. That's hilarious. That is a random fun fact. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Before we go, just um, tell people where they can find you. And, and I'll have all this information in the show notes, but just uh, if you want to give a little bit of that. Oh, right yeah. Now. Yeah. So it's Karen DeShane, um, D-E-S-C-H-A-I-N-E. -E. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, and on my my firm's website, which is Cooley, L-L-P, C-O-O-L-E-Y.com. Um, you can find me there too. Awesome. And I'll make sure that all of that's uh, on the website, on your, on your page of oh. the episode. So people thank can you. reach out and connect with you. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Karen. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit the Service Academy Sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at serviceacademysorority.com. 